Hi, this is Yolanda. I'm sharing with you the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832 to 1914. And we are partway through chapter 39 on page 417 and the section heading is spoken. I appreciate your patience with me. Sometimes I trip over my words, but let's enjoy the words of Joseph Smith III. Enjoy. On Saturday, we entrained for Spoken, where Brother Thomas W. Chapman greeted us and took us to the home of Brother Oscar L. Ferguson. He was a former resident of Lamoni, then a fairly successful real estate agent of the Western City. He and his good wife made us very welcome. Chatburn had put forth strenuous effort at this point, and quite a pleasant chapel had been built, the project being helped along by the brethren Matland, Hooker, Bell, Coleman and others. Some of these brothers were engaged in real estate, and one of them, as I recall, in the jewellery business. They had an interesting branch, and having finished the church enough for occupancy, it was formally opened at this time, in which happy service... I was permitted to participate. The city lies on two lines. I will begin again. The city lies on two sides of the Spokum River and near Spokum Falls. This waterfall of some 25 or 30 feet makes an excellent source of power, which has been utilised by the city for electricity, providing light and motor power. Brother Chapburn was acquainted with some leading people and public officials, and in his company I visited their offices and was well received. They seemed very friendly and freely explained much about the city, its affairs and its management. On the evening of July the 18th, we had supper with Mrs Eliza G Pence, an elder sister of my first wife, whom I met here for the first time. She was a visitor in the home of one of her sons, a lawyer. They received me kindly and we spent some pleasant hours, her sons joining in her plea that we stay for a good visit. She made considerable inquiry about our beliefs and, to my surprise, seemed quite willing to receive what I had time to explain to her. She had been raised in the Methodist Episcopal faith and, of course, had been considerably prejudiced against me at the time of my marriage to her sister Emma. Her son's wife was a very amiable young woman and had an interesting little family, all of whom gave us a splendid welcome. I really regretted that we had no more time to visit, but time pressed and we were soon away. In accordance with her expressed desire, I later sent Mrs Pence copies of the Book of Mormon and the inspired translation. Brother Chatburn and I visited the falls across the bridge from which point their beauty was clearly to be seen. We took a ride about the town. I remember thinking while doing so how very fortunate it is that the mighty rivers so often run right by the large cities, quite as if Providence intended them for the benefit of those great human settlements. Of course, that was but a whimsical thought, for I know the real explanation for the proximity of streams and communities lies in the genius and initiative of man himself, 
with his universal alertness to conditions which are to his advantage. I thought Spoken one of the most pleasantly located cities of its size that I had seen. It seemed to me at the time that it was not just destined to be an extremely large metropolis, but I felt sure it would long remain a most pleasant city in a most pleasant place. Next heading, Sister at Sister Jenny's. The proximity of my wife's sister Jenny, wife of Isaac Turnan, caused us to take advantage of this stop at Spokham and detour to make her a visit. On July the 20th, we left for Stiles, Idaho. There we were met by Mr Turnan and by him conveyed to his home in the mountains some eight miles away. This trip would have been more comfortable had it not been for the fact that a woman who lived near the Turnan home having been left stranded at Stiles, insisted on having passage in the little wagon with us. This additional, to, this addition, together with our considerable luggage, made quite crowded quarters and, and consequent discomfort. Night had settled down, the roads were very rough, and we were all more or less uneasy on the journey. I could not see the way clearly, but I seemed to recollect it as one of the roughest paths over which I had ever travelled. It was along the side of the mountain and followed the course of the Clearwater River from 100 to 600 feet below. If there had been an accident, we should have gone falling down the hill through trees and brush at considerable celerity. However, some two or three miles from our destination, we got rid of the extra passenger and all arrived safely about 11 o'clock at the Turnham home. There we were greeted with warmth by our sister Jenny and her family, from grown-up Elta down to the little fellow known as the baby. On Sunday I preached at Hopster, a little town two miles down the river, where I was greeted by a small congregation and the, t and the heat of a midday service. There was prejudice against us in the neighbourhood, a feeling in which, however, Mr Turnham did not share. He had been one of the New Light's persuasion, but at this time he and his wife were strongly in favour of Christian science. We did not press our religious views upon them, but passed the time visiting as relatives. We saw many things of interest in the farm work and joined in as we could, my principal contrib contribution being to carry water from the spring to the house, keeping up the supply needed during those heated days. Ada's brother, Charlie, joined us here and helped swell the merry household numbers for a day or two. The Turnham family were rather extensive farmers and had on their place a number of horses and colts and other animals. There were quite a number of boys about and my two older boys, R.C. and Wallace, got on well with these cousins and had a jolly time. They learned to ride, made two or three trips to the post office some two miles away and in countless other ways enjoyed themselves hugely. My wife even took a notion to go horseback riding and enjoyed some romps over the hills with her niece Elta for company. One incident not quite so joyous occurred during this visit. Our baby, Reginald Archer, in wandering about the garden, found some green peas and unnoticed gorged himself with them. The result was that the first we knew he suddenly grew limp and unconscious and then went into spasms. Naturally, we were greatly alarmed, hastily doing all we could, including administration. We dispatched a messenger to a neighbour, a Mrs. 
Sergius, who had quite a reputation as a nurse. She kindly came, and with her help and care, the sickness, evidently a congestion brought about by the improper food, passed away greatly to our relief and thankfulness. Mrs. Sergius would not charge anything, and I felt delicate about offering her money, but finally I did hand her some, which she smilingly accepted and promptly gave to Elta. Whether the amount was too small for her to consider to recompense, or that she felt kindly toward us, or that it was just the usual rule to give freely such neighbourly service, we could not determine, but we were surely grateful for her kind and timely help in our hour of anxiety, and were much pleased when the danger to our small son was safely passed. When we left the ranch on the 28th, Turnan's oldest boy drove in us to the railway station at Stiles. In going over this road in the daylight, first traversed in the dark, we could see ample reason for the fears we had entertained. For most of the way, the road was only wide enough for one vehicle, with here and there a place widened out where others could be safely met and passed. The driving back seemed much safer than going out, for we had a strongest hand controlling the team, and the wagon was kept more steadily in the track. The young man, Irvin, was a careful driver, and we thanked him for our safe passage over the difficult pathway. We all stayed at a hotel overnight and said goodbye to Irwin next morning as he started back home by himself. We left Stiles early, headed for Spoken, but had quite a wait at a junction called Potlatch, named after some Indians. Finally, we reached Spoken and the main line of travel along in the afternoon, where we were met by Brother T.W. Chapburn and again made the guests of Brother Oscar L. Ferguson. We stopped but a day or two, I preaching twice on Sunday, but otherwise enjoying a quiet rest and visit. Next heading, Seattle. On Wednesday, we started for Seattle. At the station, we learned that on account of a strike, our train would not leave on time. We could get no information as to when it would go, and so stayed right there at the depot. Somewhere about the middle of the day, our train moved out a few stations, and then stopped for hours. Again, it moved on away and again stopped, this time in the night and for four or five hours. I understood the difficulty was caused by a strike of telegraph operators, which made the proper and safe dispatching of trains a hazardous and uncertain matter. We were all night on the way and reached Seattle in the morning. Naturally, we were met by no one. We knew, however, that brother Fred W. Holman was in the city clerk's office. By phoning, we located him and were directed to his home. Fortunately, it was only a few blocks away and we had no trouble in getting there. Hungry, tired, travel-stained as we were and glad to find a friendly shelter. We found brother G.T. Griffiths and brother Leonard G. Holloway there, the latter of whom was staying at Holman's house. He soon had an excellent breakfast for us of, of fish nicely fried. We greatly enjoyed the, hospital, the hospitable atmosphere of brother Holman's. He was, a widower, he was a widower with an only son, the wife and mother having died but a few months before. After breakfast, we went to the home of brother and sister A.W. Gorbert, where we had lunch. Supper was taken with the family of our Welsh brother, David Davis, brother to John, where a prayer service was held in the evening. 
On Friday evening, the Saints gave us a reception, a very pleasant affair. Arrangements had been made for us to use Acme Hall in the post-intelligence building, where the Saints met us of evenings. We were permitted here to greet a number of Lamoni folks, John and Frank Black, Charles Hammer and others, which made us feel quite at home. Brother Gorbutt was a letter carrier and very well acquainted thereabouts. We enjoyed the present, the pleasant ride over the heart of the city up to a point north where a walk of a few blocks led to his house. It was situated on a hill before the bay and from his front porch we saw the Minneapolis, one of the monster vessels belonging to the railroad magnate. J.J. Hill, and used to cal- used for carrying wheat to China. It was especially designed for this purpose, with bins arranged in the hold, divided into compartments having heavy bulkheads to guard against possible accidents. Seattle seemed to present one of the most active scenes of busy life that I ever recalled. When we arrived, projects were underway for the erection of an immense hotel near the main street, the site was on a high hill. Men began to dig the bluff away, and so rapidly did they work that in the few days of our stay the hill had almost completely disappeared, the ground being lowered a great many feet, just how many I did not ascertain. The dirt taken from the bluff was used to confine an island lake, an extension of the bay, Lake Washington, intended as an inside harbour for bringing loaded vessels in touch with the warehouses on the pier it seemed unlikely to me uh, it seemed unlikely to me that vancouver or tacoma or portland will ever exceed seattle as a business point if i could judge by the hustling activity displayed next heading vancouver our stay at seattle was from august the 3rd to 7th when we took an early morning train headed for Vancouver. The trip was pleasant and the car not overly crowded. The youngsters were allowed the privilege of roaming about freely, and with the good-natured fellow passengers we soon formed agreeable acquaintance, our baby Reginald seeming especially to become very popular. One man had a watch charm, an ivory hand clasped in a gold bar, quite similar to the one I wore. Noticing this, I remarked, Hello, I see you belong to the same lodge I do. He looked a bit mystified and asked, How is that? What lodge do you mean? Glancing out and fingering my own charm, I asked, Is not this emblem identical with yours? Smilingly, he admitted that it was. I asked him his name, and when he replied Smith, the coincidence was enhanced. Well, well, I said, My name is Smith also, and this whole family F this whole family here are smiths but sir i believe you are the first irishman of that name i ever saw he too seemed pleased with the occurrence with a cordial laugh he acknowledged the correctness of my guess as to his nationality and told me he was an irish smith from ireland our journey was unusually pleasant the weather being cool and refreshing when we came to cross the national border we were detained but a little while, having nothing contraband in our possession, or that which was subject to duty. We reached Vancouver in the afternoon, finding our sister Mabel at the station. 
Soon we arrived at 634 8th Avenue, Fairview, where father and mother Clark awaited us with hearty welcome. Not long after our, our arrival, brother William Johnson, who was in charge of that portion of the missionary field, called on us and I was put in touch with various members of the church at Vancouver, Westminster and Chilliwack, the latter place some miles up the Fraser River. Westminster was also on the river and easily reached from, Van from Vancouver by a trolley line through the forest. One of the conductors on this line was a church brother by the name of James S. Rainey, whose wife was a daughter of Brother Butterfield. Both families lived at Westminster, the small branch there being shepherded by Brother Rainey. In Vancouver, I found Brother W.S. Pender at work holding services in a tent on a hill just west of the town proper. He had been labouring there for some time, had a small following, was listened to quite attentively, but apparently was making little headway. His health was poor and indeed it seemed that he had already fallen into the clutches of the white plague, which finally claimed his life. I may add that Brother Pender later went to Mexico, partly in the interest of the church work and partly for his health. He was accompanied by his wife and elder W. H. Mannerin. They were all caught there at the opening of that war which ended with the death of President Madero. They had a rather terrifying experience at Durango, I think it was, when bullets passed through the stucco wall of the building in which they were living. They succeeded in getting out of danger and reaching safety, but it was only after obligating themselves to abandon missionary work there. After this, Brother Pender, succumbing to the disease which had him in thrall, passed to his reward just last year, 1913. This is a digression, but has been recalled by the incidents of our visit at Vancouver and our acquaintance with and labours among the members and elders of the church there at the time. Apparently, Brother Pender found an indifference which was very hard to penetrate and which we indeed found for ourselves. Our last effort there, made in a hired hall, fairly discouraged even Father Clark, who declared it useless to attempt further to engage the attention of the people. Next head in. Chilly Whack. Brother Johnson was undefatigable in his efforts to make our stay pleasant. With him we visited Westminster and then on board a little steamer, the Beaver, we proceeded up the river to Chilliwack, which place we reached in the early evening. We had our noon meal on the steamer and spent a pleasant and interesting afternoon in viewing the scenery along the shores. The stream of was muddy for recent rains had discoloured the water. A Chilliwack brother, Henry Stade, received us with pleasant and stowing us away in his Democrat wagon conveyed us to his home seven miles away to the east. It was a very pleasant ride and at its end we found a real welcome from his family, wife, son and the local school teacher, a very estimable man who was boarding with them. At this place lived also the family of John Stade who entertained us one day. He had a happy-faced wife, 35 years of age and mother of seven children. There were several other members of the church in the locality which had the appearance of being a very healthy, healthful climate. A little church building had been erected on Brother Stade's farm where services were held each evening of our stay. 
Brother Johnson, Brother Holt and I have the pleasure of dedicating the little chapel to the service of God. It was a pleasure to meet these worthy saints. At the Thursday meeting, the Honourable C.W. Monroe, a Member of Parliament from the District, was in attendance with wife and daughter. He spoke very frankly in appreciation of the services and of Brother Daniel McGregor, whom he had heard some time before. He expressed pleasure in hearing me upon this occasion and said we should feel proud of the fact that our little band of members gathered there was composed of some of the finest people in the district. I learned that the staid families in particular were recognised as being among the most stable and reliable citizens of the neighbourhood. It is always a matter for gratification when we are assured of the integrity of Latter-day Saints. An upright life should be the rule among amongst us. Not far from this little church building, then dedicated, stood one belonging to the Church of England, idle and unoccupied. Our people had been refused the use of the structure, and so had built one for ourselves. Now the older one was left deserted for the elements of sun, wind and rain to beat upon or for the refuge and inhabitations of birds, a silent relic of a once vital religious sentiment in the neighbourhood. One of our members here was a widowed Sister Smith who 35 years before had pioneered in the community when left to care for a family of nine girls and one boy. By energy and persevering willpower and the aid of the sun, she had succeeded in breaking out of the virgin forest a suitable number of acres to till and upon which to build a home. Going over the farm with the sun, it was a pleasure to hear him explain how other, after cutting up one of the largest trees he planned to build a home for himself on an adjoining piece of land, he told me how many thousand feet of lumber that tree would make, how he proposed to get it to the mill, and how by the time it would be sawed into dimension stuff, he would have his foundation made from the boulders scattered about the place, using dynamite to break them into suitable pieces. As he explained it, I saw how practical and feasible it was for him to accomplish this. The lumber which had been removed from the farm, large deciduous trees, was full of resin. When felled and with trash piled around them, they formed a certain menace to property, for should a fire get started in them, they would burn unless excessive rains fell, until the whole would be consumed. Brother State's farm of some 100 acres looked as if it had no timber on it, so level and plain was it. Brother Johnson was well acquainted in this place and had received from Sister Mercer, who lived near Rosedale in the edge of Chilliwack, an invitation to hold meeting in her dining room on Saturday evening. Her husband was not a member of the church, but he had consented to this use of his home and attended a part of the service. He was quite respectful to us, though I discerned on his breath the odour of liquor. The meeting was well attended and well received, Sister Mercer and some of her neighbours expressing themselves as being greatly pleased and interested. Naturally, everywhere we go we are wont to find flies in the anointment, as the writer of old expressed it. At this place a family of saints had a son, Fred Merhead, 
slowly dying of some incurable malady. We visited them and earnestly prayed for this son, spending an hour in conversation with him and his folks and giving what spiritual comfort we could. It was not difficult to sense the shadow of depression which their anxiety spread like a pall over the household. We returned to Brother Stades by the light of the moon and prepared for the services of the next day. We were greeted then by a full house I occupying twice, afternoon and evening. Brother Johnson remarked that he would no doubt hear opposition after I was gone and so wanted to hear as much good news from me as they could while I was with them. From the front of Brother Stade's house I could trace the silver shimmer of a little stream from the point where hundreds of feet, feet up it burst from the mountain, came tumbling down the side, disappeared among the trees and rocks and finally emerged again on the plain. I had an almost uncontrollable desire to venture on a visit to this mountain, which seemed nearby. I was told Brethren McGregor and Evans had once taken a trip over it and had, I believe, spent a night on its summit. But the weather was not propitious for me or for my attempting to emulate their performance nor had I suitable clothing and shoes with which to climb along those scraggy paths and rough trails, and so I prudently quenched my desire and kept sedately in the house. On Monday evening, August the 21st, the saints of the neighbourhood tendered us a very pleasant little reception, accompanying their words of goodwill with a substantial contribution to our mission, to our missionary fund, the next morning at five o'clock we left Brother Stades and at seven boarded a steamer reaching Westminster at three in the afternoon and Vancouver by streetcar a little later. Next heading, side excursions. One day with Brother Rainey I had the pleasure of visiting the prison located to the north of Westminster. The building showed great care with provisions for the safety and welfare of the inmates who, as violators of the law, had to be deprived of their liberty. While there I saw a gentleman who, as one of the guards a short time before, had been compelled to shoot a vicious malefactor, one who preferred to risk being killed in trying to escape rather than to continue in confinement. One day a trip on the Fraser River was planned by Brother Rainey. We went down the stream, passing by and stopping at two or three fishing stations. From the start near Westminster we passed through sections of the river, thickly spread with gillnets, stretched across the river for the purpose of taking salmon as they swam in from the sea. At one station we saw a large boat, or dory, several feet square, in which the fish were piled three or four feet deep. They were being taken to the cannery to be scoured, cut up and canned. To me it was an astonishing sight. I was told the meshes of these scenes, called gillnets, used in catching them must not, according to law, be less than seven inches across in order to allow all small fish to pass through and escape capture. The season for this sort of fishing would close, I was told, on the 14th of that month. August. This was a very pleasant excursion among the accompanying saints, being brother and sister Rainey, sister, sister Butterfield and daughter, sister Stillwagon, brother Rainey's daughter, May Good, and our own crowd. 
We returned to Vancouver by trolley. Another day, several of us went to Recreation Park and watched a ball game between the teams of Vancouver and Bellingham. The victory went to the visiting team, but it took 19 innings to win it. With Father and Mother Clark and Mabel, we were one day guests at dinner at the home of Brother Rainey, where the piece de resistance was a large salmon freshly taken from the river. It was cooked whole and furnished a repast, which I still remember with pleasure. All kinds of fish, as I have before remarked, were always favourable to my palate and enjoyment. Brother and Sister Pender and some others were guests at this same time, and it was a joyous occasion. There was at Vancouver a sister by the name of Quigley. She had a married daughter living at Westminster, as I recall. Sister Quigley's husband was not a member of the church, but was a very pleasant gentleman, engaged, I believe, in the vegetable or produce business. On the occasion of our last Sunday in Vancouver, August 27th, we held services in the, in the, call, in the hall as usual. I preached in, in the forenoon and afternoon to small audiences. At noon, we were the guests of Mr. and Sister Quigley and greatly enjoyed the sparkling conversation which went around. She was an intelligent woman and interested in the work. She invited in quite a coterie of her neighbours, to whom she seemed pleased to introduce me as the presiding elder of her church. The day closed with a prayer meeting at the home of Father Clark. Brother Johnson assisted me in blessing several children, Mary Amelia Isabel Dunlap and Marjorie Genevieve, Arthur Gordon and Mary Isabel Quigley, according to my diary notes. I remembered reading in Illinois his histories the story of the conquest of the Northwest and of the disaster and massacre which attended the cruel cunning of the Indian tribes when, betraying their trust, they gained entrance to a fort through the ruse of plain the Indian game of ball name known as lacrosse. I had never seen the game played and knew nothing about it, but when I saw an advertisement in the Vancouver papers one day that such a game was to be played at Macken Point, I decided to go to see it. It was played on the same grounds used for football, but a small ball was used, which instead of being thrown by the hand or kicked by the foot, was tossed about by a racket. I found it most entertaining, though I knew nothing of the rules. The game was between the Vancouver and Victoria teams and was won by the home team 8-7. to seven. Next heading, Tacoma. The conference of reunion arranged for by Elder Griffins or Elder Griffiths, missionary in charge of the district, was to be held at Montevilla, near Portland, beginning September 10th. Since we planned a stop at Tacoma, this involved our ending our stay at Vancouver on the last day of August. Accompanied by wife, sons and sister-in-law Mabel, I left Father Clark's hospitable home and joined at Westminster by Brother Rainey and other saints proceeded to Seattle. In that city, we were cared for overnight by Brother David Davis, and next day made the trip to Tacoma in a little steamer called the Flyer. 
We enjoyed the voyage and reached our destination in good order, being met by our friends Leonard G. Holloway and by him conducted to the home of Mr. and Sister Van Eaton. Arrangements were made for us to occupy a cottage which belonged to a member of the Van Eaton family, the owners being away at the time. There we were duly installed by evening and very comfortably so, though through an error on my part in getting away from Vancouver, I checked our luggage to Portland which caused some deprivation for a day or two. I had to communicate with the authorities at both points, but it finally came on in due time, and I was left to reflect upon the possible unreliability of an ageing memory. In Sunday school convention meetings began on Friday, followed on Saturday by the religio and conference business session. On Sunday meetings were held throughout the day. Sister Van Eaton made us feel very welcome, as did her family. She expected soon to remove east to join her husband in making a new settlement in a fruit-growing growing region. Brethren, Griffiths, Johnson, Pender and Holloway shared the hospitality of the good saints here, as well as all ministerial labours. A dinner with a daughter of Brother William McKim is well remembered, though her married name has escaped me. We were regaled with that seasonable luxury, a fine salmon. This visit was pleasing, for I remembered Brother McKim as one of the old members in Iowa, where for some years he sang with us in the choir. His son-in-law was in business out here in Tacoma, and was apparently surrounded with all the accruements of semi-prosperity in a new country. To meet in a district land those with whom our lifelines had previously been cast is always gratifying and causes us to reflect on the genuineness of that association which binds together the family of God on earth. Brother Mackim and family have since located at Independence where they are active citizens. And that is the end of chapter 39. Thank you for listening.